My name is Judy. I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, everyone. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or electronic equipment be turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. To protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember two hats, i.e. OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It Basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion of this session. If there are any press in this room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures, using a video camera, or using our full names. The format for this session is as follows. Two speakers will share for 25 minutes each. Again, the topic for this session is a higher power of our understanding. Our first speaker is Frank. Hi, my name is Frank. I'm also a reader. I'll start my relapse pictures passing around. So, um, I'm a compulsive overeater and compulsive a lot of other things, but um, I came into these rooms uh, in August, it'll be 29 years ago that I came in, and I'll tell you just a little bit of what it was like before and what happened and what it's like here, and then I'm going to concentrate a lot on higher power. But I, um, I was overweight in high school on, basically. Before high school, I looked at pictures, and I really wasn't overweight at all then. But uh, I got nicknames in high school and you know all the other kind of taunting from kids and all the usual stuff. And then I went away to college, and my weight just really went up because I went to a dorm that had unlimited seconds in the cafeteria, and I did all those unlimited seconds. So I... Um, Gained about 50 pounds in my freshman year, and I got to about 300 pounds at the end of my freshman year, and um, and then up from there. Throughout college, I continued to gain weight, and then I went away to graduate school, and instead of being the smartest kid on the block, I was now average or maybe below average when you go to graduate school, and uh, I just started going downhill. I started uh, using all the other substances besides food, and... Um, and I barely got out of graduate school with a degree, but I got, got out. And at that point, I hit my top weight of about 430 pounds during, during my graduate studies. So I went out and got a job. And, you know, I should back up, too. I, I was raised Catholic, and I converted to atheist in, in high school. <laughs> and I, I wasn't one of those wishy-washy agnostics because I could prove that God did not exist. So it wasn't a matter of, you know, oh, I'm not sure or anything like that. Um, I had valid proofs. So, um, so I was an atheist going through, you know, gaining all this weight and getting into all my other addictions, and um, and that wasn't enough of a bottom to get me to come to this program. What happened is I had a brief relationship with a woman from my work. It lasted for maybe a month, and then she wanted to break it off. And it was the pain of that that finally got me to, to try to do something. So I called around to... Um, the Powell Medical Clinic, 
And they said, oh, there was somebody in here that spoke about a weight loss, uh, a, a therapist who spoke about weight loss just a few weeks ago, and they gave me his name. I called him, and he said that he would take me on as a client, but that he'd want me to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings simultaneously. So I didn't know anything about OA. I looked it up, and it looked like it was going to be a lot cheaper than therapy. So I went to my first OA meeting, and it was a very small meeting on the Stanford campus at noontime, and there were like four people there. And so I got to ask a lot of questions. How can an atheist work this program? Because when I heard the word God, I almost left right away then. But see, God arranged it just perfectly, you know, get me to the therapist who says go to the meetings and got me to a small meeting where I could ask a lot of questions. And they said I didn't have to believe in God. I could believe in any higher power I wanted. I could believe, use the group as a higher power. I could use uh, doorknob as a higher power because it has more power over not compulsive reading than I have. And I didn't quite believe him, but they, somebody at that meeting loaned me the AA Big Book, and they said, read the chapter, We Agnostics. And I said, okay. So I, I took the book, I went home, I read it, and then I was convinced this program was not for me. Because the only message I got out of reading that chapter, We Agnostics, was that if you stick with us, we'll convert you. And I didn't want to get converted. There's no way. So, but see, God arranged everything perfectly. They loaned me the Big Book. So I had to return it the next week. So I had to go back to that same meeting the next week to return the big book. And um, for the, fortunately, I was a little more willing to listen or a little more pain in that one week. And so I w ended up going to a third meeting the same day I went to the second meeting. I went to a, a bigger meeting down in San Jose on Wednesday night, a week later. And at that meeting, I saw the one thing I needed to see, which was that I had seen, I saw a man get up and say that he'd lost 100 pounds and kept it off for years. And that was something I thought wasn't possible. So there was an existence proof that it is possible. And so I kept coming to meetings from that point on. Now, I, um, I, I tried to get abstinent right away, and I would write down that I was going to have one beer with my dinner, and it was never one beer. So finally, after a couple of weeks, I had to um, go to an AA meeting and, and just cut the beer out entirely. Now, marijuana didn't have any calories, so it didn't count. <laughs> it took me another six months to let go of that. Going to AA meetings stoned and OA meetings stoned, but six months later, I finally let go of that. So now I'll just talk about OA from then on. Um, I actually came into a, my top weight was 430, but I came into OA at about 380 because I had tried to lose some weight for this girlfriend that I had. And uh, 380 was where I got stuck at. And in my first year in the program, I lost 180 pounds. And I got down to my goal weight of 200 pounds. And, um, you know, life was great. Um, I started dating, and that brought all an unmanageability into my life. But um, I was active in the program, doing service, and all that kind of stuff. And it lasted for about three and a half years. Um, I stayed close to goal weight for about three and a half years. And um, and then I had my first binge. And since I was in all these service positions, I couldn't tell anybody about it because you're supposed to let go of the service position if you're not abstinent. And so I didn't tell them about that. And then I had another binge and another binge. And finally, after three months and about 30 pounds of weight loss, weight gain, it was obvious that I wasn't abstinent anymore. And I finally gave up my service positions and uh, and just became a, a member. And, and, you know, I think part of the problem was ego got involved in that whole thing there. I, you know, I couldn't admit that uh, when I had that first one, I couldn't ask for help. 
And I had sponsors along the way. Now let me back up and talk about sponsors because that was an important part of it. You know, I, as I said, I came in here an atheist and I was going to use the group as my higher power. And, and it worked fine for a while. I, um, I got a, a sponsor who had been cut out of the same mold that I was cut out of. I mean, the same addictions, the, you know, the same kind of a background and everything. And what the first thing he got me to do was to just give up the debate. I mean, okay, I've got this proof over here that God does not exist. That's nice. What good is that going to do your life if God does not exist? It's not going to do me any good at all. On the other hand, if you were to come to believe that a power greater than yourself could restore you to sanity and allow you to not take one bite, one, 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 that first bite one day at a time, what good would that do your life? That would do a lot of good to my life. So I first of all gave up the debate and just let it go at that. And then his next step in the plan was to act as if and to pretend that there was a God out there that I, was, I could pray to and just say the prayer even though I didn't mean it. So I tried saying the serenity prayer, and to my horror and disgust, it worked. If, if I said the serenity prayer, I got more serene about whatever it was that was going on. Um, I could accept the things I couldn't change, or I could make the change I needed to do. So, you know, the prayer worked at that point. And so at that point, I went to the acting as if stage. And then it was a gradual process over years after that of, of seeking a higher power of my understanding, or my misunderstanding. And um, the, um, the result is that I have a higher power that's not a conventional higher power. The higher power that I have today is not a God that created the universe, that, you know, controls things in the universe or anything like that. It's, it's nothing like that. It's a very personal higher power. It's, it's within me. The most important thing I have to understand about God is that I am not God. That's the most important thing I have to know. And if I ever start thinking that I have power over food, I am in big trouble. Um, I have to really work that first step completely, uh, 100%. I don't, what's the timing? How much? 17 minutes. 17 minutes? I've okay, so I've got about eight more minutes. All right. Um, let me see my notes here. So, oh, left. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I started the, I, I think I was up to my, my search for a higher power. Um, you know, I, I went to some churches and things like that, and I did readings, and, you know, the kind of the Eastern religion approach fit better for me than, than a conventional um, Christian God, you know, that's going to judge me afterwards or anything like that. And so it, it, what I, what my higher power is right now is, is a higher self. I call it the higher self or the, or the Christ within or the God within, or, or something like that. It's, it's a part of me, but it's not the Frank that's standing up here talking to you right now. This Frank that's standing up here talking to you right now is the one who is powerless over food. And if I start taking that first bite and thinking that I have power over food, I'm, I'm going to end up back at my top weight. Um, so that's the most important thing about it, is it's not me. And so when, I, when I'm saying prayers or I'm meditating, it's basically ways of quieting down that verbal frank that's talking here right now. That verbal frank has to ask the higher self, the God within, for help with whatever situation I have. Or I have to uh, you know, turn my will and my life over to that higher self, God, that knows how to live life. The, basic, the, the bottom line is that that higher self that's inside of me 
knows how to live life. It knows how to accept the things it cannot change. It knows how to change the things it can. It knows which ones it can change and which ones it can't change. Whereas the Frank that's in here is, you know, just bullheaded and storming around, trying to get everybody and everything to act the way I want them to act. And so that's what I have to turn over to the higher self and let, and let, it, let it come through. Um, continuing on with my story a bit, um, so I, at, at three and a half years in the program, uh, three and a half years of abstinence, um, I had the binge and I started gaining weight. And then for the next 23 years, it was up and down and up and down and up and down. It was miserable. It was um, awful. That I'd never had more than probably six months abstinence in those 23 years. The one thing I did right was I kept coming to meetings. Now, when I was binging and gaining weight, I didn't come very often. And when I came to more meetings, I would tend to be more abstinent. Notice the correlation between those two, you know? <laughs> so, um, but I never completely stopped coming to meetings. You know, there were probably periods of times when I didn't go for a month or two or a few months would be the most that I went without coming to a meeting. But I, I knew that the answer was here. This was the only, the only place for me. I just wasn't willing to surrender and let go of the food, I believe. But, um, and you know, the, the definition of addiction is using despite the consequences. And I was using despite the consequence that I was gaining weight. In fact, I got to a higher top weight in my relapse than I had before the program. My top weight in my relapse was 460 pounds. And some of the pictures are close to that. I don't know if there's one exactly at 460, but. So, um, and, you know, I, I've been talking about the frank, that, uh, the verbal frank here. The, I believe that the disease is, is another part of me. It's, the, it's another verbal part of me that tries to tell me lies and, and, and believe them. You know, like the big lie is that I can take that first bite today and I can stop tomorrow. You know, I, I lived a one-day-at-a-time program for many years, even before I got into the program. I just had the wrong day. It was tomorrow. Tomorrow was the day that I was going to start my diet. Tomorrow was the day I was going to get my life together. Tomorrow everything was going to be wonderful. And today I was going to eat. And, and you know, I can't, I can't live that way anymore. So, um, but that disease is like a voice in the head that's t- trying to tell me these lies. And it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's like it's the world's best salesman. I mean, he's, he comes up to you and he buddies up to you and it's going to be okay, Frank. You know, it's all right. You can have that little bit there. It won't matter. You know, you can start tomorrow. Nobody's going to notice. You don't have to tell anybody. Those are all the kind of lies that, that my disease tells me. And, you know, it's, it's not only the world's best salesman, but it's the world's best salesman that can also read your mind at the same time. <laughs> so imagine walking into a car dealership where the guy can read your mind as he's talking to you. That's how effective our, my disease is at selling me on, on, on these lies. The other thing I like to talk about in terms of disease is... is um, is I, I like to use a war analogy, and that's probably because I'm a victim of testosterone poisoning. But, um, you know, in a war, the only time you surrender is where there's no hope of, of surviving if you don't surrender. And that's what I had to get to in this program. I get, had to get to the point where there was no hope, you know, and, and just gave up. I surrendered to the program. I surrendered to the food plan. I surrendered to a higher power. I surrendered to everything. So, um, and, you know, in a war, for example, if you surrender but you keep fighting, then you haven't really surrendered. And the same thing is true here. If I'm battling the food, I haven't really surrendered. When I've surrendered, there's a serenity about the food. You know, I have my food. That's my food. All the other food that I see out there is not my food. And I just have my food, and that's it for the day. I have a plan. I know, I know what I'm going to eat, and, um, and that's it. 
The other thing about uh, a war is that you can't just surrender the army and keep fighting with the Navy. So I can't just surrender one food substance. In my case in particular, because I'm a quantity eater. I mean, I, I think I could gain weight on vegetables. I probably could eat enough vegetables to gain weight. But um, so I have to not only surrender any particular kind of food, but the most important thing for me is the quantity. So in my current absence, I've been doing a lot of weighting measuring. Okay, um, so continuing through the relapse there, it was miserable. I kept coming to meetings. And then finally, two years ago, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired is what happened. And I heard that there was an OA convention in Oakland. And I figured it would be good to be absent a few days before the convention. So on the Monday before the convention, I started an abstinence, and I started going to a meeting a day for that, uh, for that Monday. I got 10 more minutes. So I started going to a meeting a day um, on that Monday before the convention, and I had five days of absence, I guess, at the convention, and I heard a lot of great speakers. And I decided to go to a meeting a day for 90 days, and 90 meetings in 90 days. Uh, 90 meetings in 90 days. Now, I'm retired, so it's relatively easy for me to get to a meeting a day. But I did that, and at 90 days, I had 90 days of abstinence, and it was working so well, I decided to go to a meeting a day until I didn't need to go to a meeting a day anymore. And, and that was a little over two years ago, and the statistics are that I have gone to 792 meetings in the past 733 days. And there were, there were 48 days in there where I missed a meeting for one reason or another on vacation or whatever, but I made up for it by going to retreats and conventions and... And sometimes just two meetings a day. Sometimes you just go to two meetings a day. So, so things have been going well since I've been doing that. And that, you know, that's been kind of part of my surrender. It's surrendering to that. It, you know, the other, the other reason I go, go to a meeting day is that I have a very short memory. In fact, I've heard that the ism of alcoholism stands for incredibly short memory. <laughs> and by going to a meeting a day, I keep remembering that I'm a compulsive overeater and that I can't take that first bite. That's the most important thing that I have to remember. So um, what happens from working these steps, um, you know, and working the program from the first time that I did it or this, essentially the second time here that I'm doing it for the last two years, is, is that you get a spiritual awakening. And that, that's connected to the higher power, so I'm staying on topic now. The, um, <laughs> the 12 steps says it all right there. It says, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. It's not a result. It's not that you get a spiritual awakening and you get weight loss, or you get a spiritual awakening and you get other things. The thing that you get from working this program and working these 12 steps is a spiritual awakening. And the, the definition of a spiritual awakening I like best is in the, it's, it's in Appendix C of the Big Book or in the 12th step of the AA 12 and 12, where it talks about a spiritual awakening is the ability to do something that I couldn't do before. And not taking that first bite is the prime example of something I could not do before that as a result of the spiritual awakening for these past two years, I've been able to do one day at a time. But, you know, it, the, the spiritual awakening covers all different areas of my life. It's not just about the food. And I've had a lot of little, I call them little mini spiritual awakenings along, along the way in these past two years in particular. So, for example, there are things like going to a meeting a day. That was, that was just something I couldn't do before that I'm able to do now. I get angry less often, not zero, but it's less often. It's, it's improvement. Um, a big part of my anger problem comes from impatience, and one of the things I learned early in these past two years was that when I feel that, you know, I'm, I'm in a grocery line and they're fumbling for their checkbook or whatever it is, you know, when I feel that anger come up, the impatience come up, I use that now. I say, 
I, when I notice that, I can say a little prayer. I can say something like, thank you, God, for this opportunity to practice my patience. Because I need a lot of practice. I don't do patience very well. And so I've tried to use that in a lot of different situations. When something comes up, I try to use it as a, as a way of reminding me to thank God. And, um, and, and, and when I do that, it works. Sometimes I do it multiple times. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to practice my patience. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to practice my patience. But um, I do whatever it takes, and, uh, and, I, and it gets better. Um, and when I, do, when I do get angry when I, in an inappropriate way, I now am much quicker at saying, would you please accept my apology? This is working the 10th step um, in, uh, in an instantaneous basis, trying to do it right away rather than um, doing it at night or the next day. Another, another one of my uh, things that got me mad was people who drive too fast on the freeway, too aggressively on the freeway. Well, guess what? I drive too fast on the freeway and too aggressively on the freeway. So I get mad at exactly the same people that I am here. But one of my spiritual awakenings in the past two years is that I now set the speed control of my car to the speed limit plus five. So the, the plus five is my will, but otherwise I turn the control of the speed of the car over to the control of my higher power, the speed control the cruise control. And, for example, I always love going to hotels because they make your bed every day. I discovered you can do that at home, too. <laughs> so I've actually been making my bed every day for the past two years. And, um, right. So an another example of, of using the higher power and, and the spiritual awakening is about three months ago, I've, I've had floaters in my eyes. Any of you who aren't familiar with floaters, it, when you get old, the, the liquid in your eye liquefies and it moves around. You have little things floating around that you know, can be annoying or whatever. But you, don't, you get used to it and it doesn't matter. But about three months ago, while I was sitting in an OA meeting, a new floater developed. And it was much bigger and darker than any of the other floaters that I had. And it would sometimes go right into the center of vision. So the first thing I'm doing, I'm sitting there in an OA meeting, getting pissed off. Why did this happen? You know, here I am, almost two years absence, and now this happens to me. And this is going to be so annoying. I'm going to be so pissed off about this. You know, Frank, the verbal part was just running a mile a minute. And I knew that I would be miserable if I kept it up like that. So I, by the end of that OA meeting, I was able to, to uh, turn it over to the point where I could say, um, God, thank you for this opportunity to practice my acceptance because the floater is certainly something I couldn't change. So I, I first started with that, and then I did follow up with a doctor, and he said, yeah, you've got a new floater, no big deal. Just you know, live with it. And so I, 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 did, I did the thank you, God, for this opportunity to practice my, my acceptance. And within a few days, I was able to change it over into my God floater. So now whenever that floater comes into the center of vision, I just say, thank you, God. It's like my visual reminder to say thank you, God, and to, and to be grateful and to turn it over. So now, you know, it, it's no big deal. It comes into the center of vision. Thank you, God. And it floats out. And, you know, so it gives me an opportunity to say thank you, God, you know, 20 times a day, something like that. Sometimes I don't even notice it, but if I do notice it, I say thank you, God. So, so that's another spiritual awakening. That's not the Frank that would have been here, you know, two years ago or 20, 28 years ago. And... And so, you know, th those, that's my higher power. It's a higher self within. And I now have proof that God exists. The proof is this body. Because if God didn't exist, there's no way that I could be absent for two years. There's no way that I could not have taken that first bite for two years. So um, that's my proof that God exists. 
And um, oh, I can. The other thing about these about this program is is the prayers, and and you know the whole concept basically of the twelve steps is to get you out of yourself and out of self-centeredness, which is what I was completely. I was completely self-centered and into service to others. And, you know, the best example of that is the third step prayer. Now, let me give you an example of how I would have written the third step prayer before this program. Okay? The way it would have gone is something like this. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt as long as I agree. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may lose my excess weight. Take away my difficulties that victory over them will make my life easier. May I do thy will sometimes. <laughs> that, that would have been the way I would have written it. And, and you know, the, the, the difference is that the whole, the whole concept of the third, of the third step prayer is to, to change me so that I can be of service to others. And, and, and doing service to others, and that's the 12th step too, is being of service to others. And that's the way for me to get out of my self-centeredness is by doing service. And you can do service in many different ways. Showing up here in this meeting right here today, each one of you has done service. You know, coming to the convention, you've done service. If you do any service in meeting level, that's service, or intergroup level, region level, whatever. It's all service. It all, it's all help, helpful for your own recovery and for getting out of yourself and um, turning your world into your life over to God. So I think that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Frank. Our second speaker is Eva. Hi, my name is Eva. I am a compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to say up front that my bladder is my higher power. And right now it's saying, Ida, you've been neglecting me, so if I sound like I'm in a hurry, I am. Anyhow, and I'm just totally amazed that all of you are here instead of at the sex work. Oh, by the way, about my bladder. When I retired from teaching, after 33 years teaching elementary school children, you know, the one thing I was truly looking forward to more than anything else was being able to go to the bathroom anytime I wanted. Okay, and I truly am amazed that you guys are here instead of as a sex workshop. I'd much rather be talking about sex than God. Uh, I have a really fun sex story. I mean, I don't know that I look like i the type of person who has a fun sex story, but I do. And uh, my, my God story isn't nearly as much fun as my sex story. However... Um, my uh, God story certainly did influence, you know, my sex story. <laughs> now, uh, in order for me to talk about my spiritual development and where I am now, I'm going to have to talk about the Catholic Church. I used to, you know, I thought for a while this was Catholics Anonymous, not Overeaters Anonymous, but I want you to know I am not taking the church's inventory. As a matter of fact, as an amends to the church, I do not badmouth the church, but I can't talk about it. would be like me trying to talk about my life without talking about food. Okay, because the church was my first obsession before food. Okay. So, I, I grew up extremely religious from kindergarten. And that was very strange because I grew up in a very non-religious family. In fact, my parents weren't even married in the church. 
and I knew that made me illegitimate. How long has it been since you've heard that word? But my parents were not married in the eyes of God, and I raised holy hell with my parents, and at about age 10, they went down with my godmother and her husband and got married, and then I was okay. I was legitimized. And I, uh, my, my first, my first uh, obsession with death was that I wanted to die so that I could see God, and I was a very young child when that happened. And I can remember, you know, I having chest pains and telling the boy in front of me in the sixth grade that I was dying, and uh, uh, and I wasn't sad about it. I was not sad about it. And by the time I was a teenager, my goal in life was to become a virgin martyr. <laughs> and I told this to the, the uh, speaker last night after, after he was done, and he just kind of looked at me and I said, you know, when I talk about wanting to be St. Maria Goretti and dying defending my virtue, I can tell the Catholics from the non-Catholics in the room in a flash. <laughs> And uh, I said, I told the, I told the speaker that uh, my, um, my virginity left before my martyrdom. You know, it was, it was much, it was much harder to get hold of, uh, get rid of the martyrdom than it was to get rid of my virginity. So, and I truly did want to be, uh, become a virgin martyr, and uh, I, uh, and so I had this very, very dark concept of of God. And this God was my best friend. I depended on God for the very air I breathed. And my favorite prayer when I was a child was, you know, it's a cliche in this program, but it's the truth. God, if you just decided to make me sin, you could also fix it so that nobody in the world would ever remember that I was fat. And it never happened. And I can remember closing my eyes and hoping that it would. And I'm opening my eyes and I was so fat. Oh, good word, I forgot my pictures. Uh, I came to Overeaters Anonymous. Uh, I made my phone call to Overeaters Anonymous, Anonymous on April 16, 1975. And on April 17, 1975, I started to abstain from compulsive overeating and I've been abstaining ever since. And my top weight was 240 pounds, and I came into OA at 225, and I lost my weight my first year, and I've been within 10 pounds of my goal weight, except when I've been below it, um, for 32 years. So, and you'll see from my pictures. Okay, so back, uh, back to my God story. What happened was that I became an English major in college, which meant that I got very, well, for me, it led to a lot of existential thought. Why am I here? You know, what is, you know, every little decision became incredibly important. And then there was that wonderful sense of existential loneliness, my terminal uniqueness. I was all alone in the world. And after 
book after book after term paper after term paper on this subject, um, my religious beliefs began to come and include. And also what happened at that time was uh, Vatican, the Vatican Council. And I could not handle the change. Does that make sense? I could not handle the change. And I believe to this day that if the Mass was still in Latin, I'd still be Catholic. But I, I, and you know, and all of a sudden, eating meat on Friday wasn't a sin to send you to hell anymore. And I could not comprehend this. My, 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 uh, my groundwork was, was getting away. So I, uh, I eventually uh, left the church. And then I began to really do the bad-mouthing business about the church that I was alluding to earlier. And uh, that lasted until I got in the program and I wrote my inventory. And I had to admit in my inventory that there were a lot of people who seemed to be perfectly happy in the church. They found what they wanted. They found a sense of community. They found a sense of peace. And they found a loving God, and uh, I had to own my part of not being able to do that. And one day I was in my apartment, and I thought, how, am, how do I make amends to an institution? And the thought came loud and clear, you return to it. And I went, oh, <laughs> so I, I uh, called my local parish, and the, uh, the priest that I talked to just went, oh, my God. You know, he thought I was a, a nun who had run away from the convent, and he wanted me back. And so he, he made an appointment for that night, and I'm going, oh, this is going way too fast. But that night I went in, and I went through reconciliation, and it was one of the most intense emotional experiences of my life, period. It was incredible. And I returned to the church, but it was different. After that initial confession, I didn't go to confession anymore. And I thought, well, you know, why? I don't have any secrets. I've got a sponsor. I don't need to go to confession. And there were some other things that just weren't, that just showed me things were different. Um, Pope John died. We got the next one. And that one wrote an encyclical that said that masturbation, homosexuality, and premarital sex were all mortal sins and that we would go to hell. So I'm sitting there at Mass and this tall, very austere priest in this high, high, um, you know, where he was standing, and he's looking down and he says, they are mortal sins, and if you go to hell, don't blame me because I told you. And I looked up at the man and I thought, two out of three ain't bad. <laughs> now, see why I'd rather be at the sex of, you know, two out of three ain't bad. And I, it was just different. Well, and then what happened was after about a year, I fell back into the heaven-hell thing. And one Sunday, I didn't want to go to church. 
Oh, by the way, I was teaching catechism. I started dating my husband, and, and it was just an amazing kind of... Uh, this was my second year in program, and things, I, the changes were just coming hot and heavy. So, but I got back into the heaven-hell-punishing-God thing. And one Sunday, I thought, I don't really feel like going to church today. And my thought wasn't that if I didn't go to church that day, I would go to hell. My thought was, if I didn't go to church that day, God would take my abstinence from me. I couldn't think. Couldn't think of anything worse, and I still can't. Can't think of anything worse than for me to lose my abstinence. Okay, so I didn't go to church. I, and that was an act of faith. It was an act of faith in the God that I had at the time that I didn't go. That I, I, It was saying, okay, I know you're not going to take my abstinence from me because I don't show up in a building on that day. Okay. So I proceeded along, and I, I never really got into prayer and meditation on a daily basis. I would read the books every once in a while, but I... Uh, uh, was never really into it. I, it's, it's interesting. I have the discipline to abstain, weigh and measure my food, uh, you know, maintain a normal weight and all that, but there are some times when my discipline just fails me. And the, the business of getting up in the morning and following that kind of, you know, routine where I sit and I read the big book every day and do this and do that, it fails me. So, um, eventually, you know, I left the church again. And uh, I started, um, I, but I, in that time, I started getting on my knees every night, no matter how I felt, no matter what kind of day it was, I would get on my knees and say, you know, thank you, God, for this day. I took the 11th step, literally. I prayed for nothing except his will for me and the power to carry that out. Even though, you know, the big book and the literature gives us permission to pray for other things, somewhere someone taught me that if I'm, you know, if I'm making that list, if I'm praying for specific things, I am saying to, you know, God, I know what that person needs, so you do it. And so I just quit doing any of that. I just, like I said, I took this 11th step, literally. And this was going along. And when my mother got ill several years ago, I got into a very dark period. And I was having a lot of trouble with my God concept. And it was because my mother was suffering. And as long as she was suffering, I was having trouble with any kind of benevolent higher power. And what I had to do with that was that I had to write a God inventory. And people go, well, how do you write a God inventory? I wrote it like any other resentment inventory I've ever written about, which is four-column big book inventory. I resent God. Why? And, you know, my mother was suffering. This happened, this happened, this happened. God gets all the credit and I get all the blame, you know, and, and all of this stuff. And, uh, and then I gave it away. Oh, but when I was writing it, something very interesting happened. 
I was in program 10 years at the time. And at the end of that inventory, what I realized, I had switched from writing about God to writing about food. After 10 years in Overeaters Anonymous, food, even though I was abstaining, was still my higher power. And that inventory ended up with a real temper tantrum. This is as good as it's going to get, and if it doesn't get any better, too bad. That was what I wrote. And, of course, it got better. But I, uh, so my, God and I cruised around, and we went around in circles, and I would have moments of feeling wonderfully warm, and then not so. And I kept getting on my knees, knees at night, every night. And then, I don't know. About eight, nine years ago, I guess it was now, I got on my knees before going to bed, and I thought, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I got up, and I haven't been on my knees since. And at the convention in 2005, I came out as an atheist. And the world didn't stop spinning. The food didn't jump out of my cupboards and into my mouth. I didn't gain 100 pounds. Nobody that I sponsored fired me. Now, I've been fired for eating sugar, but I've never been fired for not believing in God. What's important in this room, you know? (laughs) I sponsor people who are incredibly involved in their religions. Um, I sponsor Mormons. I sponsor Jews. I sponsor Catholics. You know, all kinds of descriptions, all kinds of denominations. And... uh, None of them decided that I was not qualified to sponsor them anymore because I didn't believe in God. Because whatever I turn to when I'm in trouble is my higher power. So what do I turn to when I'm in trouble? I turn to the process of the 12 steps. I pick up my pencil. I write inventory. I call my sponsor. I work the steps. So if I had to to state what my higher power um, is, it is the process of the 12 steps, and it works absolutely. The, uh, you know, the freedom from bondage prayer never worked for me. But writing inventory, giving it away, not keeping secrets, making amends, being honest works for me. And waiting, measuring my food and stopping when it's gone and not eating between meals and giving service all works for me. My first sponsor said that um, 
10 minutes with newcomers worth an hour on your knees. And she was right, as long as my own house is in order. And so I worked to keep my own house in order. So when the uh, fourth edition of the big book came out, I was reading the new stories. I was not thrilled that they took out the old stories, but they put in some pretty neat stuff. And one of the stories that uh, really got to me was a story called Flooded with Feeling. And here's what it says. I remember telling a friend years ago that I didn't have a drinking problem. I had a stopping problem. We laughed. It was true. But there was something else going on. Something that never occurred to me until I came to AA. I didn't just have a stopping problem. I had a starting problem, too. No matter how often I stopped, or for how long, I always started drinking again. After not drinking for three months, I was on the phone with a friend who had taken me to the first meeting. I was complaining to her about problems at work and how my sponsor didn't understand me. Later in the conversation, I mentioned that even when I described myself as agnostic, I thought maybe something was watching out for me. She asked, isn't it about time you made a decision? I knew where to look in the big book and I had been careful to avoid it until then. I turned to the third step prayer and quietly read it to her over the phone. Nothing happened. I didn't expect anything to happen. Then for some reason I turned back to the words, no one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. They echoed in my mind. Something happened. A barrier collapsed. Without moving or speaking, I was carried away on a flood of emotion, yet at the same time I was completely aware of myself and my surroundings. I could hear my friend's voice asking what had happened to me. I couldn't answer. I still can't explain. I know that I took the third step, turning my will in my life over to a higher power that night because I began writing a fourth step inventory the next day. And I continued to write until I did the fifth step with my sponsor. My sponsor, when I got her that night, she said to me, the only way you know that you've done the first three steps is to take the fourth step. So you're going to start writing your fourth step now. That is all the work I did on the first three steps. Soon I had a list of people I had harmed. I talked about each of the amends with my sponsor. By the time I had started settling things with my family, I began to feel a lot better. More than 11 years later, it's hard to recapture the feeling of that night. What I do believe, as a result, I can say that doubting God's existence was no barrier at all to a spiritual experience. The only time the word God is mentioned specifically, God, in the um, spiritual experience, is God consciousness. I just thought I'd point that out. 
also, I can say that having had having such an experience didn't lead me to any certainty about God. Alcoholics Anonymous gives me the freedom to believe and to doubt as much as I need to. I do know that my life is different now. I haven't had a drink since I came to AA, and I haven't had a binge since I came to OA. I have fewer resentments, and I don't spend much time thinking about the past. I found that my experience can be of help to other people. I have come to believe that hard times are not just meaningless suffering and that something good might turn up at any moment. That's a big change for someone who used to come into the morning feeling sentenced to another day of life. When I wake up today, there are lots of possibilities. I can hardly wait to see what's going to happen next. I keep coming back because it works. We have as much room to believe and not believe. Now, I know my story is not the orthodox one you hear from the podium, but you know what? It's mine, and I'm going to tell you a secret. After I started talking about this, people came up to me and would say, you know what, Ida? I've been in that place for a long time, but I'm not willing to say it from the podium. So it's important for me to tell my truth because uh, there's somebody out here who just is, who's, if you're using your lack of belief in God as an excuse to eat, I'm standing here telling you it's no excuse. Get over it. Okay. Get over it. This morning, when I come to conventions, I go crazy. I got three hours sleep last night. I was up at 3 o'clock in the morning. I wake at 2, got up at 3. At 3.20, I was on the treadmill in the exercise room. And lo and behold, the headsets for the individual televisions, oh, if you haven't been in that room, you need to go, uh, were downstairs at the desk. So I couldn't hear any, I couldn't hear any sound. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to have to exercise in quiet. (laughs) At home, I have a television in front of my treadmill. So I'm I'm exercising away. I've got the screen on, though. I'm watching uh, CNN headline news with no sound. It's more interesting that way, actually, and I've got it there. And, And I thought, this feels good. And then I thought, good morning, God. And I said, you know what, that doesn't, no, good morning, quiet. If I have to describe or name my God, it's going, right now, it's quiet. Last November, I was at a retreat, and I attended the meditations, and after one of the meditations, I decided to get rid of the radio in my bathroom. That's a big deal. Because even if I was going to be in there for only 30 seconds, I pushed that button before I did anything else. I haven't had a radio in my bathroom since November. I also gave up my favorite radio station because it was taken away from my serenity. And Monday, I did something I have not done in years. 
I didn't turn the television on because I got the quiet. I turned it back on on Tuesday. You know, it's progress, not perfection. <laughs> but you know what? I want more and more quiet in my life. And I feel perfectly comfortable calling my higher power quiet. Okay? Thank you. I will now draw questions from the Ask It Basket for up to 15 minutes. Here comes the question. Everyone tells me to act as if, and if I don't quite yet get what that means in terms of God, can you explain or give me an example? Well, I think I kind of um, gave the example. Act as if was, for me, was to say prayers even though I didn't believe that there was a God that I was praying to. So, you know, to say the serenity prayer whenever there's whenever there's a need for serenity or um, acceptance or whatever else that you need to do. So um, that, that's my example of it. Okay. Please give a character description of your higher power today. I think we kind of covered that um, character description. It's, it's a higher self for me. It's a higher self that loves me and um, is, is there to help me and knows how to live life. And, um, you know, it has the power that I don't have. I don't have the power to food. It has the power to like, not take that first bite one day at a time. Can you tell us about your current food plan? Yeah, I guess is my food plan my higher power? Hmm. Um, well, basically, uh, you know, my my disease is a quantity eating disease, and so I have um, weighted measured fee- m- meals, and I eat a lot of the same thing. I mean, my breakfast is almost exactly the same amount of oatmeal and banana and yogurt. And uh, the lunch, I have a favorite lunch that I make when I'm at home. And when I'm at home, I try to weigh and measure the foods. And I, um, when I'm out eating, when I'm eating out, um, my wife and I often split entrees, things like that, just to control the quantity. Um, but I usually don't take a scale with, with me when I'm out. But I don't, in my own particular food plan, I don't have any particular foods that I completely cut out of the food plan. I know that's unusual in OA, but that's, that's what works for me. But it's the quantity is what I have to watch out for. So that's what's working. Okay. Well, it's not an ask it. So Sam, you're good. I love you, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, here we go. 
Was there any step work that was most helpful in finding your higher power? How did it work? What did you do? The steps are so organic. How do you separate one from the other? You know, how do you separate, how do you do that? Um, like um, somebody will say, you know, well, what step are you on? And I go all of them at once because they, they can't be separated. They build on each other, but then after a while, they all become, you know, one. When I'm taking my inventory after practicing, I suppose doing four-column four inventory more than anything because it has revealed my character defects more than um, and then anything else. And doing and when I do ten-step work, I still use the four-column inventory. I don't have a separate ten-step form that I use. But after, after years of doing it, you know, it just starts to click. Oh, that's fear. Oh, that's your pride, oh, you know, the minute inventory comes into my head, I just don't know how to separate them. But like I told you before, my sponsor never really, we never really did the, the first three step work. We never did 11 step work. Uh, it just came um, out of the, the action steps. I'm really more of an action person. There was, a, I had somebody I was sponsoring once who used to say, I am, I am a human being, not a human doing. And I am a human doing, and I no longer apologize for it. Frank, also reader. Um, the only thing... To me, it's like the first step is the most important step in this program because if I ever think that I'm powerful over that food, I am in big, 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 big trouble. That's when I'm going to go take that first bite. And I, I know I have another relapse left in me. I don't know if I have another, another recovery. So if, if, I, if I take that first step completely, if I admit 100% that I am powerless over food, that my life is unmanageable, uh, you know, I can't do it, that's where I have a need for a higher power. That's, that's to me, is why I need to ha have a higher power in my life. So I think I kind of would answer it as that the first step for me is, is what leads to the second, the coming to believe, and, and then turning, turning it over after that. So, and, and, you know, and, and I think the, the message of the workshop is that any higher power that you come up with is, is, is going to work for you, um, whether it's the quiet or a higher self or whatever else it is. But, but I think the most important step for me is the first step. And... Um, Okay, what do you do when you have a punishing God or you just can't make sense of all the bad times that happen in, that happen in the world? What do you do when you're just too scared to trust that there's a good God?
Well, um, that's why I have the higher power that I have, which is the personal God within me. It's not the God out there that created the universe that's letting wars happen and famines and AIDS and all the other terrible things. So I don't blame my God for any of those things. So um, that's my higher power. My higher self is just purely within me, and it's here only for my benefit. And, and I can either ac- accept the help of my higher power or I can reject it and be miserable. And so I don't have a punishing God. I mean, that was one of the reasons why I rejected God. And, um, you know, so I, I don't know how to handle a punishing God, is I guess the answer to that. So, yeah. There is a really wonderful story in the AA book, Came to Believe, that addresses that issue specifically. And... I can't remember what the name of it is, so you'll just have to read the whole book. <laughs> now, and, you know, I, it's one of my favorite books. Uh, I love Came to Believe, and what, you know, but of course I, I don't have any trust that there is a loving God. I just don't. Uh, but I, but the, I recommend that book anyhow, especially the story Ecstasy. Um, the story, No Man is an Island, and A Practical Philosophy. About the last four, oh, and there's another one, I can't, I'm sorry, I can't remember the name of it either, but about the, the last section of that book is particularly wonderful. And I don't know if they have came to believe at the lit, they do. I hope you have a stampede to the literature table to buy that book. It's wonderful. Pank. When you gained weight after OA relapsed, did you keep? Did you feel despair, like OA didn't work? How did you overcome this? Well, um, one thing I wanted to leave uh, that I left out of my talk that I wanted to share is that, you know, the relapse that I experienced—that's optional. It's not a required part of this program. You know, I'm, I'm like the perfect example for you not to follow. You know, don't go through 23 years of hell. Um, you know, I had despair. I had everything. You know, I, um, you know I, I did doubt the program. I didn't come as often, like I said. I mean, there would be sometimes a month or two between meetings um, during those times when I was really gaining the weight. And, and, and when I did go to meetings, it was typically one meeting a week, my Saturday home meeting, the, the big meeting in San Jose that I, that I go to. Um, and that, that might be the only meeting I go to for, you know, a year or two. And I only go there once uh, once, or once a month. But, um, yeah, I had despair. I, you know, I, I didn't know when it was going to stop. And, you know, the best I could do was try to kind of limit my binging. You know, if I'm having the extra meal on my way home before I have the meal at home, I would have a medium meal instead of a large meal. That was, like, the best that I could do on my own. Um, and that's what happens when I when I'm trying to fight the food is, is you get things like that. So um, the only thing I can say is that it took until I got sick and tired of being sick and tired is when when you know I I got some recovery from that, and that's what happened two years ago. So you know it's a matter of surrendering, giving up completely, and letting go. Is, is what I found is what works. Can your super ego or conscience serve as your higher power? 
Well, I, I'm not a Freudian expert, so I can't tell you what ego, superego, id, anything like that. But um, you know, it, to me, it's like it, it's like there's a part of my mind that that um, isn't the verbal part. The verbal part here of human beings is new. I mean, it's only 50,000, 100,000 years old that we've been verbally talking to each other uh, the way we do. And so it's like that part of me doesn't know how to live life. It hasn't had the millions of years of evolution behind it. Whereas the rest of me, the, the other part of me, is the part that does have that. And so that's what I think of as my higher power, is the part that, that's not verbal, that knows how to live life. And that, uh, you know, the, the, the prayer and the meditation are all ways of quieting down the verbal part of me and getting in touch with that higher self that's within me. So that's, I don't know what part of ego, superego, or id that is, but that's the part. That's my higher power. I think it's, you know, you guys have heard the phrase, you know, don't go into your mind alone, it's a dangerous place. And I'm wondering if that, if that has any application here. You know, if we, um, without the help of others, I was just looking through uh, some stories in the big book, and, and in um, He Lived Only to Drink, it talks about the pervasive we of the program. You know, it's not, if we, if we try to do stuff by ourselves, we are in deep shit. But we need to bounce our ideas off of other people. It helps us to clarify and, and to get input. Um, so, oh, and also, I need I need to have something outside of myself, you know. Uh, and that, for me, is you know the process of the twelve steps. It's not something that I made up. I've I've never been able to figure out you know designing your own god. I just I did, and then I always thought it was when I did believe in God. I was I felt it was more important for me to believe that I was inside God than God was inside me. So. Uh, so if my conscience, if I, that makes me, that makes me feel like it's like I'm my higher power, and boy, I am not. What do you do when God not only says no? It says, hell no. <laughs> Obviously, to forget a specific regret or issue you have been working towards. Any thoughts? I mean, I... Uh you know, if the, the 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 prayers of this program are all prayers of uh, let me do your will. So you know, if that's what I'm praying for, then if I'm still holding on to the, let me have your will as long as it's this, I'm not really turning it over. I'm not really um, asking for God's will for it. So uh, you know, to me, it's just a matter of praying more and and um, and you know, asking for the acceptance, asking for the, the top. Thank you for this opportunity to practice my acceptance. You know, that's the kind of prayer I use when. There's something happening that I don't like. Thank you for this opportunity to practice my acceptance. So that's what I do. 
Actually, my favorite prayer is when I got from somebody in this room. It's, oh well. <laughs> yeah, especially since I got it from you. And, uh, oh well. And, uh, oh, and I had this brilliant thought over there, and it didn't make it to the podium. If I think about it, if I think about it before the end of the meeting, I'll get back up. I'm told you don't have to believe in God and your higher power can be anything. However, the serenity prayer and third step include the word God, which to me is religious. How do I rectify this? <laughs> I say the prayers at meetings. I join hands with my fellow compulsive readers and I say whatever prayer the leader has said or named. And why, what does that do for me? It makes me a part of the group. I believe that the function of prayer is to bring people together. I'm not convinced that it has any effect beyond that, but that is a powerful effect in and of itself. And if you want to pray for me, go right ahead. I have, I, you know, I welcome that because that brings us together. Okay? And it's not hypocritical at all. Don't worry about it. And for me, you know, I, I, I just kind of internally translate the word God or anything like that into higher power is the way that I do it. So I just think of higher power, grant me serenity, accept things I can't change. So, you know, God is just another name for higher power as far as I'm concerned. I think we just answered this. What alternative to God can we use in third step prayer? I'm really scared that I just can't believe that God will help me. How can I get the help I need? And do you have any suggestions how to just let it go? One of my favorite sayings is, you know, pray to God and keep growing to shore. You know, just keep doing the work. Just keep doing the work. I think we're going to cover all our ask it basket questions. What do you do when you think God is just there to help others, but not you, and certainly not there to help you not eat? You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, like I said before, I kind of went to atheist, which um, there wasn't any God. It didn't help anybody. Um, you know, one of the things I got disappointed with early on was that I didn't understand how to pray. I thought that I prayed for things, and when I didn't get them, that meant there was something wrong with God or with me or something like that. So, 
you know, the, the emphasis in this program is not praying for things, but praying for God's will for me to carry it out. And um, so, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what to do for this person other than just uh, keep coming back and, and keep uh, working the program, working all, all the parts of the program. It is now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers and all who have done service for this session. Sorry, I'm just picking out a closing here. Okay. Um, Let's end with the third step prayer. <laughs> Just the first one that comes to mind. Uh, so let's join hand, uh, stand and join hands as we close with the third step prayer.